Last week, we started a new series. It's called Christmas is Forgiving. And we looked last week at the fact that Christmas, for many people, isn't the most wonderful time of the year. It's actually kind of a painful time because of, for one, people that aren't there. There are many in our church who've lost a significant person that won't be there at the Christmas dinner table, who won't have gifts under the tree. And there are many in our church that have a deployed loved one that's over in Afghanistan or, or some other place serving our country. So there's a heartache over someone that's not here, but there's also people who have heartache over someone that is here, someone that you're going to have to encounter over the holidays. It might be that, that aunt or uncle or your a mom or a dad or step-parent or sibling that you just don't get along with really well, and you're... You're just going to kind of tolerate it and get through the holidays. But last week, we looked at the story of Joseph from the Old Testament, how Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, and through God's grace, was able to extend forgiveness to them, and how God brought restoration to that whole family. And what they intended for evil, God intended for good. Several people came up for prayer last week to release people in their lives that they held a debt to and said, it's over. I want to leave this place being done with that. And they, they sought forgiveness through the Lord. I received some messages through email this week. I even sat down with a man who had a very touching story. He's, a, he's an older man in our church. But years ago, he was told by his sister that, that their father sexually abused the sister. And so these adult siblings really became irate at their father. And he never admitted to his sin or his crime. And so this ate away at the family. And this man didn't know what to do with it. He was filled with this rage toward his dad. And then one day he was in a Bible study on a lesson on forgiveness, and he knew what he needed to do. So immediately after church that day, he got in his car, drove down to Canyon City to where his dad was in a nursing home. His dad was suffering from Alzheimer's. And he went and sat across from his dad, looked him in the face, and he told his dad he forgave him. I asked him, did his dad know what he had done? Did his dad accept it? He said, you know, I don't know because my dad's not all there. But it wasn't for him, it was for me. I needed to be free from that burden. And he left the nursing home that day feeling a sense of relief. But he told me the other day that after that time, whenever his dad came to mind, his dad passed away that next year. Whenever his dad came to mind, um, he saw a picture of him in his head. And in that picture, there was a dark cloud over his dad. And he didn't know why. Until one day, God whispered to him, honor your father and mother. He said, Pastor, he said, honoring my mother was easy to do. She was a good woman. Honoring my father, I forgave him. I couldn't honor him. He was not a nice man for what he did. But God kept telling him, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And he began to press into that, what God was trying to tell him. And God showed him the good things his father had done. I was father as a young man, as a teenager, 13 years old went into the workforce, how he married his mother, how they raised kids and provided a home and a, and a life for them. And he began to see that his dad wasn't totally bad. And he got to a place where he actually could say, okay, I honor my father. He said, now when his dad comes to mind, he gets that picture in his head, he said, there's no dark cloud anymore. And that relationship's been healed. Forgiving someone who's wounded you is a, is a difficult thing. But you know, there's something that, that today we're going to talk about that I think is even more difficult. It's forgiving someone you've hurt. It's, it's allowing yourself to reconcile that relationship of someone that you've wounded. And many of us in this room are oblivious to the people we've hurt. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I'll show you the bias we have in our minds. How many of you have loaned something to someone and you've never gotten it back? Raise your hand. You're still waiting for it. Could be money, could be tools, could be an outfit. Quite a few. Raise your hands again. Let me see how many. Okay, a lot of people, like half the people here. How many of you in this room have, have borrowed something from somebody and haven't given it back yet? Will you raise your hands? Okay, a, a few of you, not as many. Every service, it was, it, was, it was like a fourth of what had raised their hands before, which tells me one of two things. Either we have a lot of really good people in this church who are very honest and always to return things, or we got a bunch of liars that come to church, Okay. <laughs> One of those two is true. And the fact of the matter is we have a bias toward keeping a record of the wrongs against us far more easily than the record of our wrongs committed to others. And some of us are like the bull in the china shop. And we make messes wherever we go, and we're sort of oblivious. It may be at our homes, it could be in our jobs, it could be at school. And so uh, as we go into the Christmas season, we're looking at this subject Christmas is forgiving because the angel told Joseph and Mary, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. It's all about forgiveness. And so I'm going to ask if you would allow God to speak to you today to bring to the forefront of your mind somebody who you've hurt that you need to reconcile with today. So Father, we thank you for the chance to open up your word. We pray that you'd bless us today as we look at it. We pray that we hear your voice clearly And more importantly, Lord, that we would say yes and be obedient to it. So speak to us, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from the Sermon on the Mount, just a short little passage Jesus gave. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. I'm going to stop right there. There are three things this passage points out. Uh, The first first one is this. When you get close to God, he'll make you get closer to others. The closer you get to God, he's going to start to work on the relationships all around you. Now, here's the picture. Someone's coming to worship. They're bringing a gift to God, probably sacrificial offering, could be grain, but more than likely it's animal. They're coming to the altar. They're going to present it to God. And as they're getting ready to present it, God says, "Uh, push the pause button for a moment. Set that down, and you go and deal with this person who has an issue with you. Do that. Do it now. And you know, that's that's hard for us because we say, but God, I've got something for you. This gift is for you. I love you. I love you. Take this gift. It's, it's a token of my gratitude for you. And God says, I don't want to hear that yet. You've got to go deal with this issue. To put it in the holiday terms, if you're a child and you're giving your father a gift, and your father holds that package and says, you know, I'm going to return that to you. You just set it down right there. I know you and your sister aren't getting along, so you two go in the kitchen, work out whatever's between you, and then you come back and you give me the gift, and then I'll open it. Because, from the father's point of view, that relationship concerns me greatly. And I'm not impressed with you glossing over and ignoring that issue that needs to be dealt with. Because God's about reconciliation. That's why Jesus came, to reconcile us with God. But when we're reconciled with God, God doesn't stop there. He then begins to reconcile us in all kinds of relationships in our lives. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said the second is like the first. I mean, it's tied to the first. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. You can be the most passionate worshiper. You can be the most generous giver. But if you have broken relationships all around you, God will say, pause on that and go be reconciled with that person. Your gift isn't acceptable to me yet. He says here in this passage that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. I, I, I like the word there. There. Where's there? It's in front of the altar. It's in the presence of God. It seems that we can go through our lives being real clueless to the issues around us and actually the culture will affirm it. If you want to write someone off, if you want to unfriend someone, if you want to blast someone in a post, you can do it. It's culturally acceptable. People will applaud you. You can be a Donald Trump personality and, and people are like, oh, that's great. Someone needed to say that. You can leave kind of bruised bodies all around you and it's acceptable until you get close to God. It's in your quiet time. It's in church. It's in a Bible study where the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you. There, there you begin to remember the brokenness around you. You begin to think about your relationship with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your classmates. You start to think about those things that God wants you to deal with. When you come into God's presence as if he does a spiritual CAT scan of your life and he begins to reveal all the issues that are going on inside that he wants to fix, that he wants to untangle. I think pretty much all of us have grown up in dysfunctional homes. I used to think it was like a rare thing, but it's so common, of people who yell at each other, lie to each other, hit each other, cuss at each other in their homes, and they think that's normal. That's the way it ought to be. But when you become a Christian, you start to realize that's not Jesus' way. There's something about love and gentleness and loyalty, faithfulness and kindness that should come into these relationships, and you start to relate to people differently. So the closer you get to God, the closer he'll push you to other people, and that's Something you're going to find out. The more you come to church, the more the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about things you didn't even know until you came into church. And a song was sung, or a testimony was shared, or a scripture was read, or something happened within these walls, and, and, and God got a hold of you. I know last week, those people that came forward to pray for forgiveness of people that had hurt them, they didn't come in planning to do that. It happened while they were there in the presence of God. Now, when God speaks to you, you've got a decision to make. Here's the decision. You must do the hard thing before you do the holy thing. You've got to do the hard thing before you do the holy thing. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come, he says, and offer your gift. When God gets our attention, he calls us to go and to initiate the conversation, to begin to talk of people. Now, here's where this thing called the um, the self-bias comes in. Self-serving bias. It's the view that I see myself in a more favorable light than I see other people. That I interpret events more favorably toward me than to others, even when it's the very same action. In fact, we start to question other people's character. We start to question their motives. But we're always defensive of our own. We, a good example of this is when someone criticizes you. When someone criticizes you, you tend to react and say, well, they, they must hate me. Um, they have an agenda. They're selfish. But when I criticize this, I'm just telling you the truth in love. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to make things better. So we interpret our, our, our own um, selves in a better light. If someone comes late to an appointment, we start to question their character. They're lazy. They're undisciplined. They're insensitive. But if I'm late, it was because of the traffic. 
I had a good reason for it. So that's the bias we all tend to have. And so when there's a problem between me and another person, you know, I'm pretty good at, if, if they've wronged me, saying, you did this to me, you affected me this way, but if they have an issue with what I've said or done, then my response is, well, you're interpreting it wrong. You misunderstood me. You need to get over it. You, and you see, it's you, 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 it's never me. That's the self-serving bias. And you know, our society approves of that. But Jesus says, you take the initiative. You take responsibility to pause and go deal with that. A woman told me the other day of, of how her mom did something when she was little and, and watched her mom um, knock over an older lady walking through a marketplace and how she didn't apologize and how that's stayed with her and her siblings and how her mother seems to have a lot of pride that she doesn't do anything wrong. And I think a lot of us are like that. We come across to our kids and our friends that, that we're never wrong. Yet Jesus says, you know, you need to take responsibility. And, and moms may make that mistake, but you know who's worse? Dads. You know why I know that? Because I'm a dad. And I can be insensitive. I can be the nicest guy to strangers at church. You know, someone walks in the door, I can be very friendly and outgoing and then go home and, and my family thinks that I'm mean and insensitive. Why is it that we hurt the people we love the most? Why, why is it that we can treat strangers and people that we have very little commitment with so nice and yet our brothers and sisters, our children, our spouses, we can be so insensitive, so harsh to at times. There, there's, there's times where my, my wife and I have been in an argument and, you know, pride comes up. Pride kind of makes you want to say, like, I'm not giving in on this one. I'm going to hold my ground. And if you're married, you've probably done this. You go to bed with this unresolved. And so you go to bed and you do this thing where you lay down back to back. Right? You, go, you lay down back to back. And I'm not going to talk to this person. I'm not even going to let them hear me breathe. I'm just so mad right now. And you know when I'm in that position, God, God starts to speak to me and says, you're not going to go to bed that way, are you? Come on, come on. And so um, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I, I let my toes send out a flare. Like, <laughs> try, to, try to find where her foot is. And say, Can I touch and not get kicked? Now, if I get a, like a swift like this, I know, leave it alone. But, but if I get a little touch back on the toe. I go, okay, that's a little progress. <laughs> Heart softening a little bit. And, uh, and pretty soon I can reach over and touch a shoulder, take the hand. And, and then before long, we're actually rolled over, facing each other, and we're able to talk about it, get it past. Do you guys do that or am I the only one? <laughs> you want to get it resolved before you go to bed. And so take the initiative. You know, we as spouse sometimes are so dang proud about those issues that we won't do it. But when you get a chance to talk, here's what you need to do. There's two things you need to say, and you need to say that very sincerely. I am sorry, period. Not I'm sorry you felt that way. Not I'm sorry that you're so hurt. Not I'm sorry that I lost my temper. Not I'm sorry that I allowed things to build up to where I exploded. I am sorry. I hurt you, and I'm sorry. 
Don't justify it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't deflect it back on them. Don't say something like, you know, I'm so sorry, but you got me all upset about that. If you keep doing that, I just, uh, you know, it's, it bothers me when you do that. So that's not an apology. Apology says, I'm sorry. And then it's followed by, please forgive me. Please forgive me. It's allowing the other person a chance to close the relationship and put the matter behind. Now, will they do that? They may and they may not. I, I found that people respond um, to these kind of conversations in one of three ways. Number one is they're, they're kind of surprised. If you sit down to talk to someone about an issue, say, hey, in that meeting the other day, I said something that probably was a little unkind, and I'm sorry that it may have affected you in, in a bad way. I probably hurt you, and I'm, I'm sorry. They may, no, no, that, no big deal. It didn't bother me like that. No, that's okay. They may be surprised, but you're still good to bring it up. Others will accept it. Others will say, it means a lot to me to know that you acknowledged it. But after today, we can put it behind us. You know, uh, there was a, a several years ago that we were out visiting our kids in California. And, Steph, I don't know if you remember this. We went to, um, oh, what's that ice cream place? Cold Stone. Yes. Someone remember that. Oh, yeah, you were in last service. So we went out down to Cold Stone. And I knew that there were some things that happened when I was young in ministry, gone a lot, gone a lot of evenings, and, and Julie had shared with me there was some hurt there, and so I thought, you know, we need to have a, a talk. So after Father's Day lunch, we went over to Cold Stone, she had Eden in her little carrying um, car seat, and sat there and talked, and I said, hey, honey, I said, um, I'm sorry for times I wasn't there, what I didn't do, and... Um, if there's things we need to talk about, this is a good time. And if you remember, you said you know, she understood, and, and we talked about it briefly, but that day we were able to kind of bring some closure to it and move on. And sometimes when you talk to someone, just acknowledging that there's an issue brings some peace to someone. Sometimes they reject it. Sometimes you can try everything you want to repair a relationship, and they will have nothing to do with it. It's almost that they want to hold on to that issue and hold it against you the rest of your life. And you have to let that go and say, that's their thing with God. It's not mine. There's someone that several years ago I figured I must have hurt in some way because they uh, didn't talk to me anymore. And I tried to reach out. I tried to send some little flares. I didn't touch their toe, but I did some other things to try to find out if there was any opening there. And never. They never responded to messages, emails, anything. And then a few years later, there was a medical problem, and this person was in a serious place. And so I sent a gift card. I think it was the subway for like $20 to get some food because I knew that they would need some help with meals. A few days later, I got that envelope back in the mail with a note on the back that said, please don't ever contact us again. I thought, wow, that's the kick. <laughs> um, but I, I can't control that. You can only control what you do and what God's calling you to do. You cannot control someone else's response. And so we need to put that in his hands. Do the hard thing before the holy thing. And then one other thing this passage points out that I think is significant is the best time to do it. The best time to do it is now. It's always the best time to obey the Lord immediately. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now, as I'm reading this passage, I'm wondering, you start off with an issue between you and a brother or sister. Now you're dealing with an adversary. And what I think happens is that if you don't deal with this issue, this friend, this person who was almost like family to you now becomes an enemy. And so you need to deal with it quickly. Not next month, not next year. Deal with it now. This Christmas season, many of you will be around people that you've got issues with. 
Deal with it now. Do your part. Take the initiative to reconcile. I'll be doing a funeral this week in this room right here. And there have been several this year of older men and women who've lived pretty full lives. And you know what? I've seen a common strain in every one of these family situations. There was a lot of peace in the family. It was as if that they've already had conversations about relationships already. See, one of, the, one of the saddest things is to have a loved one die that you have a, a relationship issue with that was never resolved. You know, to have a mom or dad die when you've got an issue between you, you don't want that. A sibling, you don't want that. So deal with it quickly. The best time to do it is now, and the best way to do it is in person. The temptation sometimes is to send a text or, or write an email, maybe even make a phone call, but I'm telling you, the best way to have a discussion is face-to-face because it's there you see the the eyes and the body language and hear the tone of voice. Sometimes you can't meet face-to-face, and so a phone call is the next best thing. Definitely don't do it through a text message or email. That doesn't communicate in a, in a really good way. There was a lady several years ago in our church that wrote me a pretty scathing email once, and, and she criticized the fact that we showed scriptures up on the screens. She said that you're keeping believers dumb. Because they don't bring their Bibles because they know you're going to put the, the Scriptures up on the screen anyway. So they're never getting to know their Bibles. You pastors are keeping people in the dark. They need to know what their Bible says. And, and you need to stop doing that. Well, I responded in similar fashion back to her. Which made her respond with a longer email with some other stuff into it. Which made me respond in a more heated email back to her. And then she shared my email to her with a family member. And that family member talked to me and said... I was surprised that a pastor would write that. And I wanted to say, but did you see what your daughter did? But I just listened, and God convicted me, and he said, he was right. That wasn't the way a pastor should act. So I had to pick up the phone and call this lady up and said, hey, can I get together with you? I, I don't want to do this email ping pong thing anymore. Let's just get together and talk face to face. So we did. And you know the first thing I said when I saw her was, I know that you have a love for God's word. I know that you believe there's power in the word and you want believers to to get very familiar with this book. I understand that. I share that value with you. And I don't know why this thing turned the way it did, but it got kind of ugly. And I just want to tell you, I am sorry. And will you forgive me? And she did. Now, we didn't become best friends, but it settled that matter and it brought closure to it. But some of you might be wondering, but what about her part? What about her tone of voice, her sharp, critical email? Well, before I answer that, I want to share with you another story. Uh, a woman, another woman is telling me once about a big fight she had with her husband. And she said that later in the night, she decided to go to him and say, Honey, I'm sorry for the way I've acted. Would you forgive me? He said, Sure, babe, that's good. I'm Okay. And then he turned around and started doing some other things, and she was like, hello, don't you owe me an apology too? He never apologized to her, and it really bothered her. And here's, a, here's an issue you have to be careful of. If you apologize expecting to get an apology back, if your apology is conditional upon their apology, you might end up being really disappointed. When you apologize, it's about you. And you may think, of well, a pastor, that's not fair especially when this is a 50-50 issue. We both contributed to it. What if you're 40% and they're 60%? Should you still go and apologize to them? 
What if, what if it's 20%? What if it's 5%? You, you are guilty of this much and they're guilty of 95%. Should you go and apologize when they have the, the bigger share of the burden? Well, I, all I can tell you is this. There was a time when I had a big problem. And there's a man in my life who took 100% of the blame for what I'd done. And his name is Jesus. And what he did wasn't fair. It's called grace. And you know what? You can hold out for being fair all you want, but I'm telling you this. No one has ever written a song called Amazing Fair. (laughs) Nobody sings that song. They sing Amazing Grace because grace means you get what you didn't deserve. And so you act like Christ. Is my wife guiltier of more of it than me? Maybe. Is my husband guiltier of a bigger part than me? Yes, but I need to own my peace. And none of us are like Jesus, that we're totally innocent. And it might be the 1%, but I am sorry for that. Now, don't say I'm sorry for the 1%. But in your mind, you've got to say, I'm sorry for my part. What they do at their part is between them and God. But I've been obedient to what God's put on my heart. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. Well, can God make a way? We just sang about that. Yeah, it's possible. As far as it depends on you, meaning you have a choice. Husbands, this is talking to you. As long as it depends on you. Wives, this is talking to you. As long as it depends on you. Kids, this is talking to you. As long as it depends on you, do whatever you can to live at peace with one another. So how do you know who those people are? Do you inventory your phone contacts or your Facebook list of friends? No, I don't recommend that. Some of us are in positions where, honestly, the likelihood that I've hurt someone or offended someone is pretty great. I, I, I can't go through the congregational list and call up everyone and, and ask the question, hey, is there something between us we need to talk about? I I don't have time to do all that. But here's what I'm asking you to do. When you're there, when you're in the presence of God and he brings to the mind a name, a face, where he wants you to reconcile that relationship, that's the one he wants you to deal with right then. That's the one he wants you to deal with. And it's probably the most significant issue in your life anyway as far as relationships go. And... It'll be confirmed oftentimes by a number of signs. At least one of these, they've been drifting from you. They used to talk to you quite a bit. They used to email you a lot. They used to call you all the time. They used to stop by your office or hang out in your little group at the school. They don't do that anymore. They've drifted. And and if you're not paying attention, there's probably a reason why they've drifted. There's a reason why they don't see you anymore, come to your church, or do the things they used to do with you. It's because there's an issue you've refused to acknowledge, and they're hurt. And they're creating a safe space between you and them. Distance is one. Another thing that can happen is they can become very cold or prickly. Now, especially in our homes, we see this. When you uh, are hurtful to your kids, and then you come up and try to give them a hug, they will be like a porcupine. They'll be stiff. They'll push you back. I mean, your spouse is more, more honest about it. You put your arm around your wife when you've been hurtful, she'll lift that arm and put it right back. Men, that's a sign there's something wrong, something you need to pay attention to. Coldness is a sign. People that used to be affectionate aren't affectionate toward you anymore. Here's another sign. They just go silent. 
They just stop talking to you. Because they know this is the elephant in the room and they can't start talking and, and talk about all this other stuff when this is the big thing they'd really like to talk about, but they can't because, well, maybe you're in a position of power over them. You're their parent. You're their boss. You're their pastor. You're their teacher or coach. And they can't say this to you. You're older than them. And so they feel intimidated by it. So what do they do? They just, they're like a clam that just closes. And they're not going to bring it up. And you know what? If you're like me, you'll, just, you'll be totally oblivious to it. Because part of us says, well, if they have an issue, biblically it says they should come talk to me. That's true. And biblically it says if they have something against you, you go talk to them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Play the active role. Play the role of being the person to resolve it. So I'm going to ask you, as you've been in the Lord's presence today, has God brought to mind a name? Someone that he knows that has an issue with you and someone he wants you to reconcile with. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you commit now to say, God, I will follow through starting today to start moving down a path of reconciliation with this person. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to take the steps to do what you've called me to do. So I want to pray for that person in your life right now. Father, I thank you for those names that you brought up in, in this room just today. Father, I thank you for the fact that you care about our relationships. And Lord, what a beautiful time at Christmas when you will bring us into contact with people, people that should mean more to us than they do at the moment. And I pray, Father, that there'd be healing and restoration in relationships all across this room, that there'd be incredible stories of people that haven't talked for years, of old friendships renewed because someone listened to Jesus and obeyed him. So, Father, we commit this matter to you, that you would be glorified in it because you are the great peacemaker. In Jesus' name, amen.